This is a Federal News Network podcast. Some 650 pieces of federal land have the word squaw in their names. Nowadays, that's considered derogatory to women and to indigenous women in particular. Now, the Interior Department has called on a group called the Board on Geographical Names to change these land titles. For how that all will work, Federal News Network's Eric White spoke to the senior counselor to the Interior Secretary, Liz Klein. This is a, a, an issue that has been of importance to Secretary Holland uh, for a number of years. She originally introduced legislation when she was in Congress on this set of issues around the board on geographic names and the potential that we have a number of names in use around the country that include derogatory terms, including the word squaw, which is considered fairly offensive to lots of people, including tribes across the country. And so uh, this has been something that folks have been uh, interested in working on for a number of years. The Board on Geographic Names, probably for most of the American public, it's a little known entity, a federal body that was created by statute to help standardize geographic names that are in use around the country. So uh, when we were Uh, when there was westward expansion and uh, folks moving into places uh, and starting to name things, uh, you know, rocks, hills, mountains, streams, uh, those sorts of things, there was increasing recognition that we needed some sort of standardization around that to facilitate continued settlement, to help with map making, uh, to help with all sorts of things that the federal government certainly does. And so this body was created to help facilitate that standardization of name usage. Uh, And so all federal agencies essentially abide by the naming conventions that the Board on Geographic Names comes up with. The word squaw in particular was a word that the Board on Geographic Names has received a number of requests for change over the past uh, many years. Uh, There are actually a number of states that have passed their own laws identifying that word as derogatory and prohibiting it from its uh, state usage in geographic names. And so uh, there, there was this increasing recognition that the, the word is a problem, uh, it's derogatory and should be removed. And so this was that this is part of our effort to go ahead and, and make that change and to do it based on the authorities that the Secretary of the Interior has uh, in the law that created the Board on Geographic Names. Well, I just say I'm excited because we love little known federal entities here at Federal News Network. So appreciate you categorizing it like that. Um, So you created the Derogatory Geographic Names Task Force. And I imagine that's within the Board of Geographic Names, but also with some other contributing members from uh, different areas in the department. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about what makes up that task force? Sure. So we've actually created, we're, we're creating two entities, two committees, and a committee and a task force. And the, uh, the order that addresses the word squaw in particular and identifies that as a derogatory word that should be removed. Uh, that order also created the derogatory geographic names task force. It's going to include uh, representatives from the Department of the Interior, Uh, and our bureaus, so Bureau of Land Management, Fish and Wildlife Service, Park Service, and and others, as well as agencies uh, from other, uh, from outside of the Department of Interior, including uh, the Forest Service, uh, for instance. So that will be an entity that makes sure we have identified 
all of the names under the Board on Geographic Names purview that include the word squaw come up with a list of replacement names. Uh, you obviously don't want to, you don't want to just delete a name. You want to have a <laughs> replacement uh, to, uh, to use. So they will come up with a set of replacement name candidates uh, and they will uh, put that list together of replacements and put it out for public comment. Uh, and um, and then, you know, as the, the order uh, identifies a number of steps that will be taken, uh, we'll, we'll receive that public feedback and then uh, uh, decide on uh, the replacement names that will be used. There's also a second committee that's going to be formed. Uh, and this committee is focused on uh, words beyond squaw. Uh, so we know that there are other derogatory geographic names currently in use. The Board on Geographic Names has over the years received requests to make changes for other derogatory words. And so this committee that will be formed, it's a federal advisory committee that will be formed of uh, outside experts, folks from tribal communities, from Native Hawaiian organization, uh, experts in civil rights, race relations, cultural studies and the like, uh, and members of the public uh, to come together and, and review other derogatory words in use that should potentially receive similar treatment as squaw. So those are the two entities that we've created with this action. We're speaking with Liz Klein. She's the senior counselor to the secretary at the Department of the Interior. So can you tell me a little bit about the process of what will be going into the renaming of these lands? And I imagine there's probably a big list to review, at least. Uh, so what, what kind of timeline are you all thinking we might actually start to see some, you know, some new signs being put up or new new labels on the maps? Sure, sure. So for the for the use of the word squaw, we, we really wanted to to make sure that we were addressing that as soon as possible and not delay. Uh, the Board on Geographic Names has, as I said, received a number of requests from places around the country to make changes, uh, name changes where that word is used. And just given the amount of work that they have to do and the resource challenges that they're under, uh, they, you know, they're, they're, that process was taking some time. So we said, we're gonna go ahead and do a wholesale change uh, take care of this all at once, so to speak. And that timeline we expect uh, to wrap up by the end of next year, so 20, 2022. Uh, and then, you know, agencies that are responsible for the signs and the, you know, mapping that's online and that and the like will then go forward and, and implement those changes. The committee that's addressing other derogatory geographic names, we are in the process right now of putting together that charter and uh, taking input on who the potential members of that committee will be. We are on a timeline where we are hopeful to convene the first meeting of that committee in the first quarter of 2022. And so they will meet at that point and determine their process forward, which will certainly include getting input from the public on other derogatory names in use that should be considered for removal and ensuring that they're getting uh, a wide variety of perspectives from across the country. 
Yeah, specifically on the names, um, I'm just curious, how was the decision made that Squaw particularly had to be taken out? Um, Being in the D.C. area, I'm sure that you also may have seen the debacle that took place in the argument over the Washington football team. Some saying, oh, no, it's not really offensive. Some saying, oh, yes, it is offensive. How was the decision made that that particular term should be taken out regardless of how any certain sector feels? Mm -hmm. Well, I think on any given name or subject like this, you're likely to find some folks who believe that it's fine or that maybe the you know, resources should be used to focus on something else. Um, I think uh, around the word squaw in particular, overwhelming evidence suggests that it, uh, its origins were derogatory. It continues to be used in, a, in an offensive way. And tribal folks feel that way when they see that word. Uh, When you see that word, uh, particularly within our public lands and spaces, that is the type of uh, word that's used that's not going to make people feel welcome. And I think Secretary Holland and and this administration feel uh, very strongly about making sure that our public spaces in particular are places where people feel welcome, they feel themselves reflected there in a positive way. And so that was uh, one of the reasons why this word in particular was chosen for treatment right now. I'd also say that uh, it's also a word um, of the uh, requests for change that board on the board on geographic names receives. Uh, there's just a, that's the highest volume. Uh, there, are, there are more places that use that word uh, than perhaps other potential derogatory names. So it's uh, it's something that we thought was important to address now and address expeditiously. Uh, you know, I just think, I think again, it's really uh, from our perspective, we think this is an, a really important moment in time in our nation's history where we need to acknowledge that names used uh, in places around the country are not welcoming names. They're not names that we should continue to use if our goal is to make sure that everyone can go out to these public places and feel themselves reflected there, feel welcome there, feel like they are connected to those places and committed to uh, ensuring that you know those those places are open and available to everybody. Liz Klein is senior counselor to the Secretary of the Interior, speaking with Federal News Network's Eric White. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. 
You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and 
without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.